0: You're listening to the Frequently Asked Questions Biblical Answers to Hard Questions series taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, we're about to address a topic that is it's a difficult topic. I mean, at least it's difficult to speak about in our culture simply because there is such a pushback from the other side and as Christians, when we speak about homosexuality, we find ourselves in a place where every time we speak about the subject, we are labeled as intolerant and bigoted, and, and even our attitude toward homosexuals is seen by the world as something that's evil and wicked. And many times, Christians have purported this idea a little bit because there's been so much hatred thrown toward the homosexual people and that, that group of people. We haven't done a wonderful job as Christians in dealing with this topic, but at the same time, when Christians stand up and try to say truthfully what the Bible says, a lot of people look at us and say, you're bigoted, you're intolerant, what you're doing is wrong, how could you not accept them for who they are? God does too. And so it's a very difficult topic to speak about, and I, I want you to know that I do recognize the deep emotions that people have about this topic. Okay, I'm not going into this flippantly, uh, I know that a lot of us have family members, uh, friends, people that we work with that are homosexuals, and so this is not just a theoretical thing, and, and 50 years ago, this talk would have been a lot more theoretical, it would have been like, if we had a homosexual, and now most of us know at least one or a, a few homosexuals, and so when we speak about this topic, I understand that this means something to many of us, okay, it's, it's practical for us in our lives, my desire this morning is not to offend unnecessarily. I want you to understand that. I don't want to offend people without any cause, without any reason. I don't want to be unnecessarily unkind. Uh, my goal is to speak the truth in love. And we have an example in Scripture of a Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who loved all kinds of people, okay? all kinds of sinners. And so I hope that we can, this morning, have an attitude like Jesus, where we can love sinners. But at the same time, it is my desire to be true to the Word of God. I want to make sure that what we say about homosexuality and about all sin is biblical. It, it's based in the Bible. It's founded in Scripture. Okay? I personally have made God's Word my authority for my morality. And so I, I hope this morning when I come, I can speak from a place where I'm not speaking from my own logic, from my own understanding Um, from my political alliances or or any of those things. If it was a political decision to speak this way, it would be a foolish political decision. All right? Uh, I'm hoping that I can speak just from the foundation of the Word of God and that alone. And So that's going to be what we're trying to do. Now one might ask this question. Why would you single out a topic, one sin, like homosexuality, to the neglect of others? Are you going to speak a lesson on every single sexual sin? Are you going to have a lesson on pedophilia? Are you going to have a lesson on uh, uh, adultery? Are you going to have a lesson on other sins that aren't sexually related? Is your plan eventually to just cover every single sin? Well, the answer is no. My plan is not to cover every single sin in this Frequently Asked Questions class because right now I think the most frequently asked question is about homosexuality in our culture. And there is one difference that homosexuality has compared to other sins, and that is just the fact that in our culture, we have a world that is embracing it as virtue, when the Bible says that it's vice. And so when we're living in a culture where everybody around us is trying to say that this is right, and the Bible says that this is wrong, then I think it's an important question for us to address as Christians, so that we can speak about it biblically, from biblical foundation. Now, other sins, other sexual sins, the world does not generally... Uh, embrace as virtue. The world is not going around saying that adultery is just a wonderful thing, everybody should do it. I'm sure some people do, but as a whole, the world recognizes that as sin. And so I think it's a very important question for Christians to be ready to speak about biblically. Uh, I know this is a very significant topic in our culture. Uh, I don't know if you follow the news very closely, but two weeks ago in something called the Proposition 8, it's the Defense of Marriage Act, that was just shut, shut down by the Supreme Court in the United States. And, and what that meant is just that they couldn't change the, the law to defend marriage between one man and one woman, essentially making it impossible now to ever make it illegal to be married as a homosexual. There's a lot of things going on in the United States, in Canada, uh, in Ontario. Homosexuality was legalized in 2003. As a country, Canada legalized homosexuality in 2005 we're the fourth country in the world to do that, homosexuality has effectively, in our nation, been normalized. Okay, the vast majority of people agree with it. About 80% in a recent survey said that they agree that homosexuality is a, a normal way of life. Uh, and that, that's, that, that's a big change, because six years ago, they, the same people, the Pew survey, did the same survey... And they found that it was only 70%. And so in six years, it went up 10% in Canada. And, and I think we can expect this trend to continue. And so this is not a, a, a fight for Christians as far as defending what the Bible says. It's not a fight that's going to go away. It's going to become more and more difficult. It's not only significant in our culture, it's also significant in Christendom as a whole. Can we think about Christianity and where the state of churches are at, this is a huge issue for churches. It is not just something that the world has embraced as one way, but the church as a whole has kind of taken a different stance. You have many, many churches and many denominations that have begun to embrace homosexuality just like the world has. Uh, I looked up a couple of the denominations, and I was surprised that there were some Protestant denominations, fairly gospel preaching, or at least in the past have been gospel preaching Protestant denominations, like the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Canada, um, the Episcopalian Church, uh, the Presbyterian Church of the USA. Uh, and certainly there are some more liberal denominations that we would have expected that to happen, like the United Church, um, the Community of Christ, just down the street, uh, the Evangelical Anglican Church in America, and there's just many other churches. And what, they, what these churches have done is not just said that it's okay to be homosexual, but actually embraced homosexuals as ordained ministers. In their churches. I read a blog this week that had a wonderful quote that kind of summed up what I'm hoping to do today and they said this, there is only one way Christians should think, talk, and believe about homosexuality and that is biblically. The Word of God should be our primary guide and source document in dealing with this issue when we devalue or diminish God's Word in any way. Confusion is inevitable. Telling the truth about homosexuality from a biblical perspective is a great act of love. And we need to remember that as Christians, that, that even though this is not a popular stance that we're going to take, even though the culture says different and even some churches says different, the, ch- the, the best, the most loving thing that we can do according to God's word is always to tell the truth in love. That's what we need to do. It is never loving to pretend like something is not sin when God is looking at it that way. You're you're pushing people toward God's wrath when we do that. And so we must be loving, but we must tell the truth about homosexuality. There are five possible ways of dealing with homosexuality. I'll give you these five ways, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the, the bulk of the lesson. The first way is that there's a group that accepts homosexuality as a different gift Then heterosexuality, this is the the group that accepts it as completely normal, natural behavior, a behavior that should be encouraged all over the place. This is the group that sees you as intolerant if you think anything else. And this is the group that would advocate for the ordination of ministers in churches and those kind of things. So you have the, the far left liberal group. The second group is a group that believes that homosexuals should be encouraged to live in monogamous homosexual relationships. So it takes one step back, and it's not pushing it as much, but it's like, you know what, if that's what, how they want to live, that's fine, as long as they're going to be in a committed relationship. The third group are those that they don't really know and they don't really care, okay? And you always have to have a group for people that just never raise their hand. If we were to do a survey, are you a human being today? Put up your hand. If you did not put up your hand, put up your hand. Okay, so, so Nick, not sure about his, his humanity. Um, <laughs> that is a different thing we'll have to address later. <laughs> Listen, you always need a spot for people who just aren't going to take a stance. And so there is a group of people that are just, eh, whatever. The fourth group is a group that condemns homosexual behavior while attempting to evangelize all sinners, including homosexuals. So they say homosexual behavior is a wrong thing, but I will still attempt to bring the gospel to homosexuals just as I would with any sinner. And the fourth group is a fanatical right-wing group, and they are the ones that are very vocal about denouncing homosexuals as utterly and eternally hopeless. They would say that homosexuality is like the worst unforgivable sin out there. And this is groups like the Westboro Baptist Church who honestly have given Christianity a very bad name in this area. And so uh, we're going to take one of these stances in a moment and try and defend it. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the lesson. Father, uh, we need your help this morning. God, I need your help. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to think biblically about this very difficult topic. Uh, Father, I know that there are many people that will be hurt um, or could be hurt by what is said. Lord, I know that there are others that would be angry because they don't think it's strong enough. Lord, I just want to be biblical. And so God, help me to have your mind. Help me to um, speak the truth in love. Lord, I pray that that all of us would take a firm, truthful, loving stance in this area of our lives. Lord, help us to recognize that this is not a problem that is far away, that this is something that's going on right in front of us right now. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to um, respond the way you'd want us to. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the question is, how should Christians handle homosexuality biblically? How do we do this in a biblical way? The, the Facebook post that prompted this question was this. I think it would be beneficial to discuss the topic of homosexuality, more specifically how to witness to homosexuals and how to combat the idea that Christians hate them. It is becoming more prevalent in our society, and it's a topic that I think everyone could use in some way. It's a very good question, very good topic to speak about. And so we're going to talk about how Christians should handle homosexuality biblically. And we're going to organize this question into three other questions. So this is how the talk is going to go. The first question is, according to the Bible, is homosexual behavior sinful? Second question, how should Christians respond to other Christians who have homosexual temptations? And the third question, how should Christians evangelize people who practice homosexuality? So we're going to break it up into those three categories. So the first question, According to the Bible, is homosexual behavior sinful? Before I answer, I want to be clear, once again, that I'm taking a biblical stance, using the Bible as my foundation. That's all that matters. And when I speak about homosexual behavior, I am not speaking about any person that has ever had a homosexual temptation. This is how I'm going to define behavior. It is a physical or mental participation in a sexual act with a person of the same gen- gender. And so it is not just any initial temptation. That is not the definition of homosexual behavior. The definition is when you have participated in homosexuality, either mentally or physically, but you've done it on purpose. Okay? And so the answer biblically is, yes, homosexual behavior is sinful according to the Bible. John MacArthur said this about homosexuality. He said, Homosexuality is no more and no less than a perverse sexual act. And I want us to really understand that. We're dealing with a perverse sexual sin, a perverse sexual act. We're we're not dealing... See, oftentimes, when you talk about homosexuals, you've labeled them, they've labeled themselves, and it becomes their identity. And so it's not a behavior that they're taking part in. It's not a specific sin. It's just who they are. But when we look at the Bible and we look at what homosexuality is according to the Bible, we're not dealing with a person and who they are. You're dealing with just a sin that they're uh, taking part of. And it's very important for us to to realize that because we don't classify everybody else based on one sin they participate in right? Especially other Christians, we don't do that. We understand that that a Christian is a child of God. they're, They're loved by God. And so when we give people their identity, we ought not just... Dehumanize them by saying, oh, they're this just the homosexuals. Okay, we must remember that this is this is simply a perverse sexual act. It is no more than that and no less than that. So according to the Bible, is homosexual behavior sinful? Let's look at a few different areas that show that it is, uh, according to God's word. First of all, we'll look at God's design and God's plan. God's design for men and women. We find that in Genesis chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 18, it says, The Lord said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. So God sees that it's not good for men to be alone. What He decides to do is make a helpmeet suitable for him. It's, it's something that, that fits with him. It's something that, that is complementary to who He is, but not the same as Him. In the following verses, God creates Eve from Adam's side, and then in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, He says, "Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother." and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God's plan in the beginning was for a man and a wife to become one flesh in, the, in a union called marriage. Okay, that is God's plan. That is God's design for men and women. Now, you say, well, that's speaking about marriage, but it's not speaking specifically about sex. Well, if we want to see God's design for sexual intimacy, we have to look to the New Testament in 1st Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 now the, the Corinthian church was a very uh, a certain, the Corinthian city it was a very immoral city okay Corinth was the most immoral city in the world at the time and it was full of sexually perverse acts they they worshiped the goddess Aphrodite and part of that worship was a, a long list of perverse sexual acts and so we're dealing with a place that was very sinful and when Paul writes to a church the church in Corinth there was a lot of this sexual sin in their church and when he writes to them, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's responding to a question they have about uh, sexuality. And in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, he says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Now, fornication, it comes from the Greek word pornea, it is speaking about any, any sexual act outside of marriage. So it's speaking about adultery, it's speaking about homosexuality, it's speaking about premarital sex, it's speaking about any sexual act outside the confines of the marriage that we just saw. So to avoid fornication, this is God's design, God's plan. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. very clear, that is God's design for sexual intimacy. It's the only place where mankind can participate in a sexual act within the confines God gave. Hey, that was God's plan, God's design. So we see it in God's design for men and women and for sexual intimacy. We also see it in God's law in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is an abomination. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, says, If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. In the same passage in Leviticus chapter 20, it deals with incest, it deals with bestiality, and it deals with adultery, heterosexual adultery. And the punishment for those things and all those things is death. Now, for us in our culture, Christians get a lot of flack for this verse. Because. The homosexual community, the the world as a whole, points a finger at Christians and say, do you think that we should kill every homosexual? Is that what you say? Well, we would say no, just like we don't think we should kill every adulterer. But what we're looking at here is God's moral law given, and then the civil punishment that went along with that moral law. And so we're dealing with the Israelite society, and this is when Israel was self-governed. And so while Israel was governed the way God planned for them to be, this was the law. Now you say, isn't that pretty harsh? Yeah, it's pretty harsh. But do we understand that we have a God who is so holy that that's how He views sin? And so this law and all of these laws and even the law that said a rebellious son should be killed, all of those laws point to the fact that God is incredibly holy and that God hates sin. I say that rebellious sons are going to be killed, and the baby starts crying. That's (laughs) ironic. Or maybe not. So we must understand that this is a moral law, okay? and we know that because the only laws that had punishments of death were moral laws. And so it is a moral law, but he's giving a civil punishment that is not designed for all times and in all places. Okay, When Jesus was alive, Israel did not practice this because they were under Roman government. And nowadays, we wouldn't expect to practice anything like that. All right? So the punishment was severe, but it demonstrated the the holiness of God and God's hatred for sin. And that is true for many sins, not just homosexuality. So we see God's law in the Old Testament. Then we move to the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So he begins this passage, this section, saying that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then he goes on in the next few verses to start naming those sins of unrighteousness. We get down to verse 26 in Romans chapter 1. It says, "...for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature." And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat, okay verses very clearly denouncing lesbianism and gay homosexuality. now, we look at those verses, and it again and again it says that they're leaving the natural use of themselves and going against nature. And there are a lot of people that say, well, listen, there are a lot of homosexuals that say that this is just natural to them. This is a natural desire they have. This is how they were made. But in this passage, God is not speaking about a natural desire here. He is speaking about his own design. Okay? The natural use, against, which, is, which is against nature, is the way that it was planned and designed by God to be used from the beginning. And we know that because in verse 27 he speaks about the lust, the, the desire that is inside of homosexual men one for another. And so it is, it's not saying you don't desire it. It, it. It's not speaking about your natural desire. It's speaking about God's design and God's plan. And he says based on God's plan and God's design, this is a vile affection. In fact, in those, in those verses alone, homosexuality is, is said of it, it's that God's wrath is on these people that it is ungodliness, unrighteousness, a vile affection that is against nature, against God's design, that is unseemly, meaning it's indecent, and that it is error. Okay, so in in a very short passage of scripture there, we have it very clearly denounced. Uh, Paul goes on to give a laundry list of other sins, and then in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, he finishes this way. Who... So these people that have participated in all of these sins and homosexuality as one of those sins, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And that is describing the state of Roman society. So before we stand here and go, it's just the world has never been as bad as it is now. This is a brand new thing that we have to deal with. That's not true. Okay, Paul gave this list of all these things, homosexuality included, and then at the end he said, these people, they they not only do these things, but they take pleasure in others that do them as well, and so they're they're pushing their agenda, and they're excited when they see other people taking part in these things. They're trying to get society as a whole to be okay with this and to be participating in it, and, and they're trying to make it a natural, normal, pleasurable thing. Well, that's what society was then, that's kind of what it is now as well. There are a few other places in the New Testament that denounce homosexuality, call it sin. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9-10. to 10. We're not going to read all those verses right now. Um, we're going to continue on, but if you want to look them up, those are some other places you can find homosexuality clearly denounced as sin. Now, we've we looked at the God's design, we've looked at the Old Testament, we looked at now what the New Testament epistles say, but what did Jesus have to say? There are many people that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, or or, I'm a Christ follower. That's the new lingo. So I'm a Christ follower, and I just do what Jesus said, and Jesus was never against homosexuality. My question is, did he say that? Did Jesus say that he wasn't against homosexuality? Nowhere in the Bible did he say he wasn't. And so what, what they're saying is, Jesus never explicitly denounced the sin of sexuality, so obviously he was okay with it. He didn't denounce it, so since he didn't call it out as sin explicitly, then we should just assume that even though the rest of the Bible condemns it, Jesus was okay with it. And that's what a lot of people think, but here are some of the facts. It is true that Jesus did not name homosexuality explicitly as a sin. That's true. He did not affirm or deny it as sinful explicitly. Jesus also did not speak about rape, incest, pedophilia, polygamy, or bestiality explicitly. None of those sexual sins. And yet, most people that say homosexuality is okay would look at that that list of sins and say, no, Jesus was clearly against those sins because it was in the Bible. Because that's the nature of God, his moral law. Jesus did denounce sexual sin. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, he says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications. And remember what we t- said fornication was? Fornication is any sex outside of marriage, between one man and one woman. And, and so when we take that as a definition of fornication, there Jesus did say that that's an evil thing that comes out of an evil heart. A- any type of fornication, any, any type of relationship outside of the confines of marriage. So Jesus did denounce sexual sin. Jesus did affirm God's design in creation. In Matthew chapter 19 verse 4 he said and he's speaking to the Pharisees he says and he answered and said unto them have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and he said for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. So Jesus did affirm God's design in marriage. He did affirm the Old Testament law as authoritative. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Okay, later on, he said, Every single jot and tittle will be fulfilled. And so he didn't come to destroy the law. A lot of times we erroneously think that. That Jesus came and now the law doesn't mean anything anymore. No, the law was always designed to lead us to Christ. The law always revealed to us who God is, the character of God is seen in the law, and so Jesus didn't come to just destroy the entire law, he came to fulfill the law and then to give us grace. But he did affirm the Old Testament law as authoritative, and so anything that was said and anything that was called a sin then, we should assume still that God would call that a sin now, any part of his moral law. Jesus did promise that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth, in John chapter 16, verse 12. And so when we say that he didn't explicitly condemn homosexuality, he did say, but I will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Basically, I don't have time to tell you every single thing, but the Holy Spirit will come along and, and he'll help you. And he'll lead you into all truth. And so when we read Romans, we read 1 Corinthians, we read 1 Timothy, we can say in all those places, that, that is the answer of Jesus' promise, that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. And that's the all truth that he would guide us into. And finally, Jesus is the living word of God. Okay? It's not just the red letters in the Bible that count. It's not just what Jesus said. Jesus, In John chapter 1, said Jesus is the word. He is the word made flesh. And so Jesus did not just write what he said. The entire Bible is the word of God. Christ is God. And so if you want to know what Jesus says about homosexuality, you have to take all of scripture into context. So that, that, that's, that's a very brief, biblical view of homosexuality. I want you to understand, too, that this is a brief... I'm going through this very quickly. There it could be a lot more said in this area. But what I want to do, before we continue to go on, is address some of the arguments that are made by pro-homosexual interpreters. Because there are many people in, in these churches that we've already mentioned, that they look at the Bible and they come to a different conclusion. They, they do not view homosexuality as a sin they they don't think that the bible teaches it is clearly a sin and they think for our culture today we should accept it as a church as just a normal behavior and so what do what do those people say to defend their position i'm going to give you five possible arguments I'm, i'm sure there are more but here's the most popular the first one is that the prohibition against homosexuality is made to a different culture and so this prohibition against homosexuality was culturally relevant, but at this point, society has progressed to the point where we're ready to accept homosexual behavior as normal. And, and listen, it is true that there was a different culture then, but we are dealing with the same humanity, and we're dealing with the same God. Humanity is just as fallen as it has ever been. We should expect the same sins, and we have the exact same God with the, with the same moral attributes. The same things that were morally wrong in the Old Testament are, are morally wrong today. And so in, in these wicked cultures of the Old Testament, we're talking about the, the Canaanites that surrounded Israel and the Greek and Roman world. In those cultures, homosexuality was accepted as, as a, a normal practice. In fact, the Canaanites and the, the worship of Aphrodite in Corinth and around the world in different places in all of those days, they used homosexuality as part of their worship. And so what these pro-homosexual interpreters say is, well, the prohibition is against them in a different culture, and the reason that, they, that God had this prohibition against homosexuality was because it was tied to idolatry. And so because they used it in the practice of idolatry, then it was wrong but if, if it wasn't associated with idolatry, it would have been okay. And so now we don't associate it with idolatry, so it's, it's okay now. Okay. The problem with that argument is, first of all, the Bible never makes a distinction. The, the Bible never says anything about the fact that it's, it's only in cases where it's tied to idolatry. It just gives blanket condemnation statements. The second part of that is um, heterosexual prostitution was also a part of the idolatrous practices, but it is never denounced as a sin for Israel in the confines of marriage. And so the Bible does not limit the condemnation of behavior to idolatrous practices, so we should not either. The second, sorry, the second one was the Bible is only only condemning homosexual prostitution. Yeah, it goes along with what we've just said, and that's, that's the link between homosexuality and, and the worship of false gods. And that is not the case either. The Bible doesn't limit that. Okay? Homosexual, the condemnation of homosexuality happens throughout the Bible and it is never tied to another sin. The third argument made by pro homosexual interpreters is that the Bible's command against homosexual behavior applies only to heterosexuals. Now, this is a really interesting argument. Because that first case, it seems very ludicrous, okay? It, God says, don't practice homosexual behavior, but they say, well, he's only speaking to heterosexuals when he says that. So it's kind of like somebody who's a drunk saying, it's okay for me to drink because I desire to drink. But if you do not desire to drink, you should not get drunk. Okay, a Very similar kind of argument. It seems ludicrous, but this is where it comes from. It comes from the idea that God made people homosexuals the way they are and they should naturally live out their, their natural desires. And so if you are a heterosexual and you're naturally attracted to the opposite sex, you should live out that desire. That it, would be, it would be wrong and sinful for you to go against what is natural for you. But if you're homosexual, that, that's natural for you, you should live out that natural desire as well. That, that's how the argument goes. Many of us... Know a song that was written by Paul Edward Blair and Fernando Garibay. Um, You probably don't know it as written by them. You probably know it as sung by Lady Gaga. It's called Born This Way. It begins with a mother speaking to her daughter, and the mother says, There's nothing wrong with loving who you are. She said, Because he made you perfect, baby. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say, I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. No matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgendered life, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to survive. And, and the song embodies how our culture views homosexuality. That you were born this way, that it is a natural desire, and so you need to stay on your track. You were born this way, so celebrate who you are. The truth is, The Bible commands people to avoid what is natural for them all the time. The Bible commands people to avoid sins that they naturally want to take part of over and over again. In fact, it would be foolish to write a book telling people not to do things that they don't want to do. It would be silly for me to say, hey listen, um, this morning I do not want you to set a fire and then stand in it. Because you probably don't want to do that, right? It's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. I mean, so every sin that the Bible condemns is a sin that somebody wants to take part of naturally. It's important for us to remember this because when we're dealing with homosexual sin, we also can compare that to heterosexual sin and say, listen, men and women all over the place are attracted to people of the opposite sex that they're not allowed to sleep with, right? Teenage boys deal with this all the time, but it's not just men. Women do as well, okay? And, there, and you could make the same argument about almost everything. Is it okay for a man to rape a woman because he naturally wants to do that? Well, no. Is, is pedophilia okay because somebody is naturally attracted to a child? No. How about bestiality? What if we go through the whole list? And now some homosexuals will say, well, that's true, and they would not condone those practices. They wouldn't condone committing adultery but they would say that they don't condone that because somebody is hurt in the practice whereas with a a homosexual relationship if both people are consenting then nobody's hurt but here's the problem god also condemns premarital sex premarital relationships between heterosexual couples in the same words in the same way that he condemns homosexuality and so in that case you could have a committed relationship with two people who are consenting, and they're both jumping in this on purpose, and God still says that it's wrong, that it's sin. Nobody's being hurt in the process. And this is not the only sin that God says is wrong, where nobody's hurt. When God speaks about adultery, he doesn't just speak about it in physical terms. He says that if you think about a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And that's a sin. Well, did thinking hurt anybody? Did my thought of anger towards somebody hurt them? No. I mean, sins all over the Bible are are, are sins where there is no obvious victim, but it's still sin in God's eyes. Because sin by God is not defined by, is somebody hurt? Sin is defined by, what is my law? And does it measure up to my law? The word sin literally means missing the mark. You've missed God's law. And that's the definition the Bible gives of sin. And so when we speak about homosexual behavior... And we say that it's wrong. It's not on the basis that somebody might be hurt. It's on the basis that God says it's wrong. And so it is. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul says, "...for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not." For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Paul is explaining this natural fleshly desire that we all have in some way, in some sin or another, to take part in things that are wrong. Now, your specific sin might not be the sin of homosexuality. But the Bible says that we all are sinners. And we all have temptations, natural temptations, that are in fallen mankind to do things that are, that are wrong, that are sinful. Just because they come naturally does not make them okay. Number four. This is the fourth objection that some Bible interpreters make to explain why homosexuality behave, homosexual behavior is okay. They say the Bible is referring to homosexual behavior in non-committed relationships. Uh, And once again, this distinction is not made in Scripture. Uh, What they're saying is, well, yes, homosexuality is wrong if it's outside the confines of a homosexual marriage. And and that is just not spoken about in Scripture. Every time we look at marriage in Scripture, it's between one man and one wife, or in some cases, one man and many wives, although that was not God's plan or God's design either. And, And polygamy is also a sin. God calls premarital sex between committed couples sin, and it is also possible to have a committed adulterous relationship and it's still sin. And so fornication is fornication. And number five, homosexual behavior does not hurt anyone, so it can't be sin. We've already de- dealt with this. It doesn't matter if it doesn't hurt. Okay? It matters what God says. We have 15 minutes left before church starts. The, the last two questions that we're going to answer deal with how Christians respond to other Christians and then how Christians ought to evangelize homosexuals. I think those are incredibly important questions. The truth is, the part that we deal with today is fairly clear in Scripture, um, but I think the thing that, that many Christians get wrong when it regards to homosexuality is how we are dealing with it. How do we deal with it within our church and within other Christians? And how do we deal with it with our unsaved relatives? And, and how do we love them and show them the gospel without pushing them away unnecessarily? Okay? We're not trying to offend unnecessarily, but how do we at the same time continue to say what God says? And we've seen today what God says about homosexuality. And so I do want to take the time to answer those questions properly, so we'll push that off to another week. So if you, if you have any comments or questions, um, quickly, we'll, we have about three minutes we can do that.